For those who are seeing me live right now, the notes are on the website as I speak. If you're watching this after the fact, the notes, you can go out there and you can follow along with me, or you can go reference them later for personal study. I try to give uh, notes every time I teach just so that you can kind of take the verses I'm teaching and, and not only see what I'm saying, I do want to explain what I'm saying, but but I also want to give uh, folks Bible verses and, and, and things to study on their own so they can study it. So let me uh, really quick go through briefly some uh, announcements. Um, no upcoming events at this point other than once we get the go-ahead from the governor to be able to have services again uh, in, you know, full, full services. Once we get back to this new normal, um, we're going to try to do some sort of all-night prayer meeting. And so I'm excited uh, about that. So just stay tuned, basically. No hard dates or times on that yet. Uh, also, just like to plug that uh, we, like any other ministry or church, we need uh, the support of, of those who believe in what we do, the financial support. So if you're able to sow into the ministry at this time, we'd so appreciate it, and I would appreciate it. Um, it's the only way we keep going. We're a, a non-traditional ministry called to pray for our region. We are not a, a, a like a typical Sunday expression of the local church, and so we don't tell people tithe to us. We say tithe to your church, and so we simply receive what people give above and beyond that. And so, so grateful for the many sacrifices people make so that we can keep doing what we're doing. We're still in somewhat of a unique time with this stay-at-home order, but we're going to keep preaching, we're going to keep praying, and then sooner than later we'll be back praying together. I'm excited about that. Okay, I think that was pretty much all the notes. Just once again, want to say a big thank you to Caleb, Noah, and Joshua, my three oldest boys. My daughter wanted to come with, but we convinced her to have a girl night with mom. And so she was more excited about girl night with mom than being here with the boys. And then pretty soon, Zeke, he'll start coming and helping too, right? He'll be more help than all these guys. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to keep preaching to empty chairs, except the kids in the back. Looking forward to the day where we get some human beings in here other than me. But here's the thing, the Word of God still works, whether you're in the room, not in the room, through Facebook, the powers and principalities are still going to hear the Word of God, even when nobody does. But I'm going to love it when we get a, a few more people to laugh at my bad jokes. Let me pray, and we are going to go diving into the final uh, the final edition of our John 17 series. So let me pray. Father, we, we love you tonight. Lord, I count it a privilege just to open your word and share it. 
And uh, Lord, it's a privilege to share your word to uh, just my kids and those tuning in through Facebook and those listening to the recording. Lord, it's a privilege, whether it's to one or to one million or whether nobody hears it, your word will never return void. It will, it will do something more than we're probably imagining. And so I just thank you for the opportunity to share uh, your word. And I do pray for those who tune in and those who hear the recording, God, that you would speak to them in a very deep and personal way through this prayer that you prayed 2,000 years ago and have continued to pray throughout church history and will continue to do so before it's all said and done. So Father, tonight, by your Spirit, open your word and open our ears to hear your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay. Like I said, notes are on the website. If you'd like to download them as I go along. And uh, Caleb, real quick, will you just make sure we're good online there? I'm just going to check our recording one more time. We're good to go, okay? We good to go, man? Oh, mom's watching. I better preach good. Okay. All right. Mom's watching. Or listening. John 17, the prayer of prayers, part four. Again, this is the conclusion of our John 17 series. We could dissect every phrase and go on for a year or two probably, but I broke it down into four parts just to kind of get through it and get a sense of the chapter, but it's just so big, so towering. I encourage you to go through this chapter, get familiar with it, incorporate it into your prayer life. Let's read the text for tonight that we're going to look at. It's the last three verses of the prayer, John seventeen twenty four to 26. Let me read it, and then we'll just get into the intro and begin to break it down. John 17, verse 24, Jesus concluding his prayer. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25, he says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let me touch on some introductory comments. These are essentially a repeat from the first couple of weeks. Is Joshua okay, guys? Okay. John 17 could be thought of in a number of ways, but a key way that it could be thought of is it's a deeper look into Jesus' heart. In this prayer, as he begins to open up his heart of hearts, 
we we see his full expression of the desires he has and what he's wanting accomplished of course he's in unison with the father's will but he's expressing this desire to have friendship with his disciples that he just taught on in John 14:15 and 16 this is like the culminating prayer Father, this is what I taught them, and now would you make it happen? And this is what the prayer looks like and sounds like to that end of this friendship he desires with his people. He doesn't just want obedient people. He wants friends. He wants a people that he can open his heart to and that they open their heart to to him as well. He wants to express this desire for friendship with his disciples, but then he also wants his disciples to have that kind of relationship with one another. And he wants us today as Christians to look back on them with fondness and look at them as friends and comrades and learn from them. And so there's a multifaceted dimension to this prayer. I call John 17... Or I describe it as the king of kings is praying the prayer of prayers. It's like the ultimate prayer from the ultimate person. It's the greatest man ever praying the greatest prayer ever. You just don't get greater than God praying to God. God the Son praying to God the Father. And because Jesus prayed it, we pray it. I mean, it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. And not only that, it's in the Bible. And so there are a number of prayers throughout Scripture that we pray. We take those into our prayer closet. And we can pray our heart desires. We can pray our feelings. But when we pray Scripture, it's endorsed. And this stuff's going to happen. And in particular, when God prays something, we pay extra attention. So we incorporate this into our prayer life. And we, we try to understand this in our context. Because we know it's something He not only prayed then, He's praying now. And the question I've been asking for about a month now is, is imagine if this prayer were answered in our life or in our church or, or in the world today. What if a church looked like this? And I believe that's where it's going. There's going to be a generation that walks in the answer to this prayer. And I want to be a part of that, definitely. Excuse me. Now let's go down to number three significant themes in these verses we just read. Let's go to verse 24. 24, again, Jesus says, Father, I desire. I have these desires, Father, that those who you, whom you gave to me, that they, they may be with me. And again, most of this prayer is alluding to the future glory he's going to have when he's back with the Father And so when he's saying, Father, I want them to be with me where I am, he's talking about, I I essentially cannot wait until we're together in glory or in paradise or in heaven together and the, the full glory of who Jesus is is known. And we'll talk more about that. Because when Jesus came to the earth and was born of a virgin and lived 30 years relatively anonymous and then three years of ministry, all of it, it was Jesus was in his most abased 
humble state. He is fully man and fully God while he's walking the earth. But, but the way I describe it is, is he turned the glory down like to zero. And so nothing, there's almost nothing extraordinary about him for those first 30 years. And then those last three years, there's certainly extraordinary exploits. But in comparison to who he fully is, this is nothing compared to who he is in the fullness of his glory when he made planets and universes. And so he's got these desires. Father, I want them to be with me and I want them to see who I really am. Now, Jesus begins to conclude his prayer. I've mentioned that. And he uses the word Father Six times in 26 verses, it's perhaps the main theme of this prayer and the main theme of Jesus' ministry is the Father. Because Jesus, though he has all these desires to be known, to know him, he surrenders fully to make known the Father. And that's interesting because we don't tend to think of it that way. In his humanity... Jesus was like you and me, and he always will be. He's fully human, just like you watching this. He's fully human. What separates him categorically, he's also divine. He's God, and we're not. And so in his humanity, again, we separate it into theological categories, but there's no separating that. He was fully God, fully man at the same time. That's just for us talking about it. That's how we have to describe it. But in his humanity, or maybe it's better to say referencing his humanity, Jesus was like and is like me and you. And when he walked the planet, he wanted people to know who he was. He had desires. He wanted people to know that he was the son of God and that he he's co-equal with the father. And he only let slivers out at certain times as the father allowed him but mostly it was completely hidden. He never went around trying to convince people of his divinity. He never argued with people trying to prove, hey, bow down and worship me. I'm God's son. That's who he really was and is. But again, he surrendered fully to that and he made known his father. He did only what his father said and what his father did. We see that in John 15. There's a verse that indicates that the only things Jesus ever did in his whole life was what the Father wanted him to do. I mean, I just can't fathom that level of surrender. It's just a whole other epic level of meekness. He, he's God, and yet he doesn't make known his divinity. He just does what the Father wants. But as he's marching toward the cross and he knows that he's at the end, he begins to open his heart a little bit and he begins to pray, Father, I want them to see who I fully am because they just see the, the most humble state of God right now. They see the Son of God in the most abased, plain and ordinary, unglorious state, but I want them to see the real me the real me that's been with you for all eternity, the real me that has enjoyed a loving, 
Trinitarian fellowship with you for endless ages. I want them to know it and I want them to experience it. I want them to be there. That's what he begins to pray. It's really, it's a quite extraordinary prayer if you ask me. Now, just a quick story. Some of my favorite, absolutely favorite types of shows and videos are when like athletes who are mega superstars dress up in a disguise and they go try to interact with people. There was a show on years ago called Undercover Boss. And in Undercover Boss, the CEO would would dress up in a disguise and he'd go work the lowest job in the company and try to learn the ropes from like the intern or the janitor or somebody that was, you know, on the the running the cash register at the burger joint. And it was humorous because we knew who this guy fully was or who this gal fully was. We knew that they owned the whole huge company and they're making millions, but but the people in the show didn't. And I can't tell you how many tears or how many times I teared up. Just the analogy was so strong that that this is like what God did. He was so high and yet he came so low and everybody mistreated him and they yelled at him because he couldn't do the job right. And that that show was like messianic to me. I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe how good it was every week. I wish they'd still have it. There was a video one time, one of my favorite videos. I, I'm a Ronaldo fan, Cristiano Ronaldo, that is. There's a Brazilian Ronaldo and then there's a, uh, Ronaldo from Portugal and love the guy. I think he's a great soccer player, but he is just, I mean, there's fame and there's worldwide fame. And I mean, he's clearly at the highest level of fame. And there's a video of him on YouTube. You can look this up. It's got like a bajillion views where he gets in disguise and he takes a soccer ball and he goes out into, I think it was Madrid, somewhere in Spain, maybe, or maybe somewhere in Portugal. I can't remember. And he just begins kicking the soccer ball around. There's tons of people all over, and he start, tries to play soccer with people. People ignore him, and I thought it was funny. He even tried to get one girl's number, and the, the, the lady turned him down. It was pretty funny. But he's just going, you know, kicking the ball around, and then a, a little kid begins to play with him, and, and then he starts to sign the ball, and he takes his beard off. And the, the, you could just hear in the video, there's this gasp. I mean, everybody's like, ah. And you hear... Uh, Cristiano, Ronaldo, and he's just instantly swarmed by maybe hundreds of people, just an instant. And whenever I see videos like that, I just think, man, they, he was in an abased state. He was disguised. No one really knew. And folks, here's the thing. That's what Jesus' whole life was like Cristiano Ronaldo with his you know, his disguise on or the undercover boss when he dressed up and was working uh, on the cash register or trying to do the uh, the janitorial work. And, and he knows who he is. And others are kind of, sort of, maybe getting it. But he is like, Lord, I can't wait until I'm with you again, talking to his father. And that these guys that you've given me, I want them to see it too. 
Now, here's the thing. In heaven or in the next age, because we're going to go to heaven temporarily, but then heaven's coming back to earth. That's a whole other message. But we're going to see the glory, the fullness of who God is in the next age in heaven. We're going to see who the Father is. We're going to see who the Son is. We're going to see who the Spirit is in the fullest sense. And we're going to learn and discover it for the rest of eternity. But not only that, here's the kicker that that many don't think about, is you're going to see the full you. And you're going to see the full others when we're in glory. Because here's the thing, not only was Jesus hidden, you're hidden. I'm hidden. Everyone else, we're in our most abased, humble state, but the scripture is very clear after death, or if we're that generation that's on the earth when the Lord returns, we get caught up, the Bible says, and we receive our glorified, resurrected body. Those who are in the ground, they are resurrected and get it, and those who are just alive, They're instantly transformed, and I don't fully understand all of that. I just know what the Bible says, but we get a serious upgrade, and the the Bible describes it as as the idea of glory. Uh, The theological term is glorification. So we're being sanctified now. We will be glorified. We'll be given a body that is incorruptible. We'll never get sick. We'll never experience depression. There will never be cancer. Our mind will always be sharp. We'll always have physical vigor and we'll never weaken. We'll never age. It's going to be epic. We don't know what that's like now, but in a minute, we're going to see who He is and who we are and who everyone else is who loves the Lord and is saved. So here's the thing. In the next age, life is eternal. Whether it's eternal life or eternal death, we get to choose that in the grace of God. I want to go to a place where there's eternal life, and I want everybody I know to be saved from their sins so they don't have to live separated from God in anguish and in torment. I want everybody I know to go to that place where Jesus is talking about in his prayer right now, and he says, Father, Oh, that they would be with me where I am, that they'd behold my glory. I mean, guys, in heaven, in that next age, it's, it's described by God as glory. See, right now there's pain and there's suffering and there's difficulty and there's betrayal and hatred and persecution and loss. And there's lots of blessing as well. There's good days, there's hard days. But in heaven, there's just glory. It's just glory to glory to glory for endless ages. You really want to be on the good team. Now what's remarkable about verse 24 is he adds a comment onto an idea that he threw out earlier in the prayer. Earlier in the prayer, he begins to talk about the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. I'm looking at verse 5 in my Bible. Father, glorify me 
together with yourself with the glory I had before the world was. But now he adds some detail toward the end of the prayer, kind of saying the same thing, but he throws in this comment, Father, I want them to be with me. I want them to know my glory, my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He's saying, Father, not only was I with you before there was a world, but I was in a loving relationship with you before there was ever a world. So so wrap your mind around this. Before there was ever a physical creation, before there was ever a universe or a planet Earth, stars, planets, space, before there was that, there was God, but not just God, God God-loving God. Again, this is diving deep into the heart of John's theology, which is a Trinitarian theology, which is basically a big word to describe that God is one yet three persons. There's shadows of it in the Old Testament. The New Testament puts it on blast. And in particular, John the Apostle grasps probably most deeply, even even probably beyond any other theologian in church history, the Trinitarian nature of God. It's all over his gospel. God not only exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, God is also one, and God loves God. Let me make that more simple. The Father has loved the Son And the Son has enjoyed that love. And the Son has loved the Father. And the Father has enjoyed that love. And the Father has loved the Spirit. And the Spirit, the Father. And the Spirit, the Son. And the Son, the Spirit. That loving relationship has transcended time and space. It has always been there for an eternity of eternities. And again, our brain can't compute that in the slightest. But that's what he's referencing in verse 24. He's saying, Father, there was a love that we had before there was anything. I want them to have that. Here's the good news tonight, brothers and sisters. If you know Jesus, you are going not just to a place for eternity, You're going to a person for eternity. And not only that, that person loves you with an eternal love. In other words, you've been in his mind for eternity. And he works out this lengthy plan of redemption spanning thousands of years and many, many, many successive generations to get you and me, people like us, to glory. And a part of that eternal glory is knowing how loved we are and loving God. It's just so epic. Jesus wants us, you watching through Facebook Live, you listening to the recording as you go about your day or drive your car, walk down the street. Jesus wants you to experience this for eternity, this love he has for you. And not only that, he wants to touch you right now as you're listening to this with his tender fatherly love. Jesus wants us to experience this love 
that has transcended time and space. He wants us to experience it as much as humanly possible. Now let me ask you a question. Had to grab a quick drink. Who's the most loving person you've ever met? This is a rhetorical question, of course. I can't see your comments. By the way, if you have a question during the sermon, just leave a comment and we'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But who is the most loving person aside from God? Can't say Jesus, can't say the Father. I'm talking about in your life or someone you know or heard about or something. Who is the most loving person you've ever known or ever met? Who comes to mind right away? It might be mom or dad, might be a a caretaker, a best friend. Who's the person that comes to mind when you think the most loving person I've ever met? Usually it comes right to your mind. Think about tonight what that person's love means to you. How they've loved you, what they've said to you, how they've been in your life through thick and thin. There's something that they did or consistently showed you that causes them to register as most loving person ever. Now, here's, here's the thing. We've all had someone in our life that we're like, yep, definitely, that person or these people, or maybe you have two or three or four, you're like, I can't believe how loving that person is. You know, I think of someone like Mother Teresa, who just, her whole life, just the absolute highest level of surrender and love the poor, and there's so many people like her. You know, there's the, the most loving people out there, but I never met her. Now try to imagine someone even more loving than that, than, than maybe mom or dad. Someone more loving than Mother Teresa. Someone more loving than the most loving person you've ever met. Here's the thing, that's your father. That's the Son of God, Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. They are infinitely more loving and infinitely more in love with you And they want you to be with them to experience that for all eternity. And I think to myself, why doesn't anybody, why doesn't everybody in the world take up that offer? All I have to do is turn from my sin, repent and follow Jesus, and I get that for endless ages? It's a no-brainer. And oh, that anybody that would hear this message that doesn't know Jesus I would implore you, I would implore you to turn away from your sinful ways and to follow Christ. Even if you lose everything in this life, you get glory for eternity. You get love that has been eternal in nature for endless ages. But here's the good deal. Usually your life's pretty blessed in this age as well. I'm a satisfied customer. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's tough moments. Yes, there's tears. But mostly I'm blessed. I'm happy. There's joy. There's joy following the most glad man to ever live. Oh, I love it in verse 24. 
He says, you loved me before there was even a world. Guys, God's love didn't start at creation. God's love was eternity before creation. And his love was the reason why creation was created. Because he wanted to set in motion a plan involving people that could somehow find their way back to him. And that way is certainly through the way, Jesus Christ. I've got I to move on here. That was, I'm going to spend the most time on that verse 24, so I'm going to blitz through verse 25 and 26. Verse 24 is Jesus' desire. And verse 25, we talk a little bit more about the Father. Jesus says, Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these guys do talking about his disciples. So we briefly revisit the subject of the Father, which the Father is central to Jesus' prayer. Again, he says the word Father six times in 26 verses. He describes in this verse, he says the phrase righteous Father, which is the only time in the New Testament this is used, righteous Father, just like Holy Father from verse 11 is the only time in the, in the entire Scriptures that that term is used. So he, he brings out these two phrases in verse 11, Holy Father, verse 24, Righteous Father. Again, n- used nowhere else in any other prayer, in any other scripture in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Jesus described God in this prayer in ways that no one else had ever. He was attributing adjectives to him. He was describing him in ways that others had not viewed him before. It, in, in, in one sense, describes his ministry because Jesus brought revelation forth of God like no one had ever heard of. He expounded on Scripture like no one had ever thought about. And what this means, Jesus describing God in ways that no one else had described Him before, means He saw God in ways that no one else had. His life seeking after God had brought about revelation to His heart that no one else had experienced And so he begins to describe his father in ways that were new, that were revelatory, that brought understanding that the father, he's not, first of all, God as father is significant, but he's not just father, he's holy. He's big, he transcends everything. And not only that, he's not not unjust, He's, he's fair, he's right, he's righteous. There's an equity about him. In other words, he's never got it wrong. He's righteous in his dealings, even though his dealings may lead to a cross and a death, he's righteous. The ways of God are right. They are true. And no one knew this better than the sinless Son of God. 
Jesus, I love how he says this. Nobody in this world knows you like I know you. Nobody. You're the righteous father. The world doesn't know you, but I do. I know you, Father, and I'm making you known to these guys so they can tell you or they can tell others about you. Let me just say one more comment on verse 25. I'd like to just say this as a brother, from a, from a brotherly heart, from a shepherding and caring perspective, something I've noticed is that the father issue, it's probably the most significant of our spiritual life. I'm saying this based based upon 20 years involved in ministry, several years in senior leadership, that has taught me that how people view God their Father is perhaps ultimate in determining their spiritual trajectory. How people view God the Father is perhaps, I'm not going to make a hard statement and say it's number one. There's usually a couple things. But perhaps, in my experience, it's really significant. How people view God as their Father in their heart of hearts, in the back of their mind, depending on the circumstance, how they view their Father is ultimate. Again, perhaps, I want to soften it. Perhaps ultimate in determining spiritual trajectory, where we go in God. Because here's the thing, and I've met with a lot of people, done a lot of chats, done a lot of counseling, done a lot of, well, what about this or that? And what it usually comes down to is either we think God's a good father or we think he's a bad father. And the more you discover what Jesus discovered, even though he was marching to the cross and going to die brutally, the more we discover that he's holy and that he's righteous and that he's loving and that he has our best interests in mind and he's involving us in his plan for his own glory and for our own good, he's not just using us, he's blessing us, the more we're convinced he's a good father and that's real to us, the higher we go. Not even the sky is the limit because God transcends the sky. There's no limit. All the, all the, all the, the barriers are broken when we look up to the heavens in our prayer life and we just go, he's good, he's amazing, he's righteous and holy and he loves me. There's just no stopping that person spiritually. They're going to be unoffendable. They're not going to get trapped up in all these p- petty little things that others get trapped up into because their heart's just so big because they see how loved they are. It is so important to work through this issue. If you're trying to make it in ministry, if you're trying to be a great spouse or, a, or an excellent friend, if you're trying to pastor well, shepherd well, lead well in, a, in, a, in the spirit of Christ is what I mean by that, if you're trying to do well, you've got to work through what you believe about God as Father. Again, if in the back of your mind, he's just kind of screwed your, your, you over, you, you're never going to really want to be close to a bad father. Here's the thing. In reality and in truth, he's a good father, but many don't believe that. 
And so they always kind of wonder why things aren't working out. They just, they don't connect dots because they've just made a judgment. God's not good to me. And so they just, they stagnate. And I, I would, I, my, my heart just goes out to so many people that have had so many hard situations. Friends, he is good. He's a father that loves you. And the most difficult seasons of life are to produce something in us, a depth of love in us, a character in us that couldn't happen otherwise. And you know, and I know, this is true, that if we just had a cakewalk and had no suffering, we would not be close to him and we would not call on God. But because there's suffering, because there's trials, because there's tribulation, it breaks our affections from the world and it causes us to pray and you know it's true. If you just have a cakewalk life and I have a cakewalk life and we just eat cake all day, we don't go deep in God. God's a genius. He knows the pressures we need, the difficulties. He knows what we need. And He gives it to us in the right increments to draw our hearts deeper and to get us to connect to Him in a a more personal way. We will not love and serve passionately someone who we think is a bad father. It's absolutely critical to work through earthly father wounds and misconceptions about our heavenly father. We want to be able to go to our prayer closet and truly like Jesus prayed, oh, father, you are so righteous. You are so holy. You love me. That's Jesus's prayer life. We want to have that prayer life as well. And so whatever it takes forgiving your earthly father, going through counseling to work through the emotions, getting some, some more discipline to study the Bible so that you get truth in your spirit relating to the nature of God the Father, working through the lies. Do that hard work because it pays dividends. I'm coming to the end here. i got just a few minutes. Let's end with verse 26. Jesus ends his prayer saying, I have declared to them your name and will declare it. I've showed them who you are, Father, and I will keep doing it for the rest of church history by the Spirit. Yes, I'm going to leave. I'm going to send them a helper that will lead and guide them into the truth of who I am and who the Father is. I will declare your name to them and I'm going to do it so that this love, the same love that you loved me with, that it would be in them. He saves the most massive statement for his final statement, his final prayer. He's praying for his disciples and future disciples to be filled with the same love that filled Jesus, that motivated His obedience. The same love that motivated Jesus to live sinless, fully dedicated, all the way to the cross. 
I mean, I think to myself, how did he do three years of ministry with all these people hanging off of him? I mean, I'd, I'd quit after a week. I just couldn't do it. The love he had that energized him and motivated him to go from city to city to city with thousands just hanging on his shoulder. Kids crying all over him. Kids snotting on him. People running up to him and touching him. I mean, I'd be bugged just by a few people, but I'm talking everywhere he went, just suffocating amount of masses. And he loved them all and did the Father's will to each and every one of them. I just, I'm so, I'm so amazed looking at Jesus as a human being. I'm amazed at where the grace of God could take that man. But the Father's love touched Jesus and moved him to live at that that level of surrender. And that same love is going to be in his church. Now notice that in verse 26, this is a promise. Jesus promises, I will declare to them your name. I have declared it and I will declare it. I will teach my Father. I will make it clear to my people. Jesus says, He taught His disciples the nature of God the Father. He will continue to do it. Again, by the Spirit, Jesus is going to reveal the holy, righteous, loving Father. It will cause the hearts of believers today to experience what they did then. This all-consuming love that motivates radical obedience, radical surrender. The early church moved in it. The early church touched it. I believe we're going to begin to move in that at the fullest expression the closer we get to the Lord returning. And so in closing, as we conclude our study of John 17, and we conclude with that comment, which you loved me, that love that you loved me with may be in them and I in them, let's commit that to prayer. Let's commit... Let's pray what Jesus prayed, in other words, is what I'm saying. Let's ask that that same love that Jesus was loved with, that same love that was in those disciples, that it would truly be in us and that Christ would be in us by the Holy Spirit. Let me close in prayer. Father, that's what we, as we've looked at this incredible prayer for four weeks. Lord, we, we are just in awe of who you are. And what we want tonight, Lord, is that love that touched Jesus, that love that filled your son, Father, would fill us, your sons and daughters. I pray tonight for those who've tuned in and those listening on the recording that you would fill us with this eternal, profound love, Father. Father, touch many hearts tonight, many people listening to this with this love. Let it touch us right now and let it touch us in an ongoing way. Let it fill us now and continue to fill us 
In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, Caleb, I'm going to have you come up and see if we got any comments. Don't quite turn it off quite yet. If there's any comments, we're going to do uh, questions if you have them. Oh, someone couldn't hear very well? Yeah, you just got to click the comment here. And then there's this one. Okay, I see a question from Brother Eric. All right, I don't know if I'm going to be able to... (laughs) That's a lengthy question. I think what I'll do is I'll just reply in the comments after the sermon. I I just went back with Caleb, and uh, that was a lengthy uh, post. And so let me, Brother, I'll just commit to answer that as best I can after the sermon. And uh, in fact, anybody else, you can just type in your question and I'll answer it as best as I can. But uh, we are about five minutes to the end here, so (laughs) I'm looking forward to the point where we can get other people in the room. But until then, that's our series on John 17. And since you stuck around to hear the end, you're going to hear the announcement that we're going to begin a new series on angels, the ministry of angels, we're going to look through what the Bible says about angels, and we're going to spend three or four weeks on that next. I've always wanted to do a series on the ministry of angels, and never got around to it, but now we're going to do it. And so I'm expecting not only that we would uh, learn from it in Scripture, but we would potentially be more aware of angels that are moving around us. And uh, Scripture says to entertain strangers, you never know, and it might be an angel. And so uh, it's a subject that I'm intrigued by. It's certainly biblical through and through. And so next Friday, we will begin part one of our series on angels. And so stay tuned for that. Bless you guys. Have a great rest of your Friday night. Have an amazing weekend. And let's keep praying for God's mercy on this pandemic because we want to start getting back to that new normal now of just going about our job and our life and going to church. Keep, keep everything in prayer and uh, bless you guys. I will uh, tune out now. I'll see you next week in Jesus' name. Bye-bye.